Trigger warning for today's episode because we will be discussing drug use and domestic violence. If you or someone you know are experiencing these things along with mental health issues, please check the show notes for additional resources. Hey everybody, welcome to This Is Bullshit with Emmy and Kylie. Today, we're taking a stop into my hometown, Bellaire, Ohio, and having a conversation with Chris Ann, who, by the way, we love and we will have her back on because she is not finished telling her story. We only had a limited amount of time with her and we had audio that um, got fucked up. But please bear with us because we are learning and this is all new for us. Anyways, enjoy the episode. You think you hot shit, but you not shit. Brush your teeth, your breath stank, cause you talk shit. You need a warning label that says toxic. This right here, this the line, and you crossed it. All right, that song you heard right there is Fuck You, You Ain't Shit by Zach James. You can listen to him anywhere you get music. He has a lot of uh, great songs, and I recommend you guys check him out if you like that vibe. And even if you don't, just listen to it. You might. Anyways, today I would like to first off start by saying that everything in this episode is alleged. While we want to validate Chris Ann's story, we still have to say that things are alleged and I will be scrubbing names out of this episode as much as I possibly can. Like to welcome Chris. Um, we highly, you don't know Chris, I know Chris because, well, we tried to, we rode a school bus together when I was really young. Um, you were friends with my brothers, but I was too young to be in the same circle. But also, I was isolated a lot from life. Mm-hmm. So we have lived two different lives in the same small town. On the same little road. Cut a record. How I remember Emmy is she was like this cute little blonde girl. And then my favorite part about like y'all's family always was when I was growing up was like your grandparents' dedication to how much they loved y'all. The dedicated grandparents that um, Chris Ann is referring to are my great grandparents, Mate and Carol Richardson. Um, may they rest in peace. They both passed away last year, almost a month apart to the day. And they have their own special little story that I might get into at some point because uh, it's very unique and different that my grandma May was a wild woman. But every single day, They would be outside waiting for the bus to drive past their house just so they could wave and yell for Tommy and I and uh, make sure that we knew that we were loved. We also have other grandparents who are just as dedicated um, and spent a lot of time with us growing up, but that is just something that Chrisanne got to see every single day with us. And while we thought it was embarrassing when we were kids, I look back and it was one of the sweetest things they could have ever done. Chrisanne, go ahead and tell us a little bit about you. I was born in Pensacola, Florida. Um, My mom was from Bel Air, Ohio. My dad was from Waycross, Georgia. He was like into a tower painting business, like when he was younger with his family. And um, somehow like he came up here and met my mom and that's, they were doing some more tower like painting stuff and we traveled. Well, they traveled, had me in Pensacola had my sister in Waycross, Georgia, and I pretty much lived, like, on the interstate as a child until, like, I don't know, we finally settled up here right before my dad went to prison, so it was, like, first grade. I was, like, permanently up here. I went to West Belair School, 
when it was still like the real old one, it was pretty cool. Um, I was born in Florida. I lived in Georgia for a while, but I've been like from Bel Air ever since first grade. So um, I didn't get to see a lot of my dad's side of the family growing up because he was in prison. My mom worked three jobs and held it down and paid all of our bills in the house that we had. My dad left her in so much debt, um, but she still somehow kept the store that he had opened. It was called Chris's Carryout and the bar underneath called the food bar. They kept that afloat until a big flood came through. We didn't have um, flood insurance. FEMA wouldn't help us. So that was the end of the Chris's Carryout days. But um, my dad finished his prison sentence. He was in a halfway house in Cleveland when I was 15. He got out of that. Um, he taught me how to drive, which was pretty cool because um, 13 months and 13 days after he was like released from the halfway house on August, Friday, the 13th, 2010, he was in a Camaro accident, which it flipped front to back. It ejected him through the back windshield and he was pretty much dead when the um, ambulance and stuff got there. So I could get all into that. That was a big thing too. But they had like the celebration of life for him, like out in Glencoe at the Bowens' property, but it was the Sentinels Clubhouse. Your dad was there because your dad was like friends with my dad and stuff. Um, my mom tried to keep me away from my dad's side of the family that was up here because again, like we're not related to any of like those people, like the Bowens's, I'm not blood related to any of them. <laughs> I'm just, my dad was an Ashby and his dad didn't even know who his real dad was. My mom doesn't know who her real dad was. Um, my Mimi Jo is nuts. She's funny as hell, but she's nuts. And she didn't know who my mom's dad was. She doesn't know who any of them are. But anyway, I decided to take a 23andMe DNA test to see like what I was. Cause my mom always looked Italian to me. And then my grandma was always like, oh, there's Native American in you guys. No, I'm 98.9% .9 British and Irish. And um, like there was like 0.03% sub-Saharan African. And then there was like a few other ones that were so little I don't even remember. But I have the screenshot somewhere in the spin. Anyway, I was really surprised to know that I'm British and Irish like that because I mm -hmm. hate the way they talk. Like both of them. I really do. And... Hmm, what else? So I have two children. Um, my daughter, Brylin Rose, she's eight and she's super cool. Like she's a force to be reckoned with for sure. She's eight years old and can beat me in a game of chess. So like, I think I'm cool, but like when Brylin's like an adult, she's just, she's gonna, I already know she's gonna exceed all my expectations. And then my son, Cashton, he's two. He'll be three um, September 13th of this year, but he is the size of a third grader already. He's wearing a size 4T and uh, clothes, and then he wears a size 12C and, like, toddler shoes, and literally he's two, just turned two, like, in September. So I look really funny when I'm carrying him around. I mean, he walks and stuff, but he's still, like, my baby, you know? Brylin was, like, the littlest, cutest baby and was all petite like me, and, like, Cashin's just, like, huge. But it's awesome because I was always worried about, like, if I had a son, he would be short, like me and my dad and like no he's not my son has nothing to worry about like my daughter's good my son's good everything's good we always have a good time together um today some things happen and I was finally like um granted custody of her which is in the best interest right now but again I did not do anything out of spite my heart's in the right place and now I can finally get some rest tonight after I get off of work because my daughter's out of a very dangerous situation. So I'm very excited about that. 
Now, with my son regarding his custody, he has my last name. He's a cower. I want everybody to know that Cashy is a cower. I Do you guys hear that last name, Pride? I want you guys to know that that is very common where we're from. We're so prideful in our last names. Like, I am so prideful in my last name when I was married. Um, I never changed my last name legally. And my son also is a McCorkle. Like, there's a lot of pride in our last names. I almost named his middle name Morty. I was going to name him Cashton Morty Cower. Brylin was the only one that could convince me otherwise. She said, no, please, I don't tell anybody his middle name. So I ended up, Cashton's middle name is Damon for his dad that was there for me the whole entire time, even after that. We'll save that for another um, episode because that's a, oh, I got a lot of little loops I could go into. Um, anyway, his middle name is Damon, but it's spelled D-A-M-Y-N because my mom's name's Amy. So I wanted to have her name in there too, but he was a boy because when I named my daughter Brylin Rose, um, I looked online forever trying to find names for her. And then I was like, you know what? My dad's ashes are in this rose necklace and like, um, I'm named after my dad. I almost named her Chrislyn. That's who I, that's what I should have named her. Chrislyn Rose Cower, but it's okay. Her name's Brylin Rose and it's fine. Um, so I named her after her, um, other parent that I, I don't know. We just, I don't know him. We just share the same kid, but yeah. So that's where she got her name. Um, but it was kind of cool because her great, great grandma on her other parents side said um, she thought she was flattered because her name's Rose. So it worked out for everybody, basically. Um, I feel like I try to be a good person. I take my kids to church when I can. Now that I started working nights again, it's a little bit rough, but like I really need to get back there. That um, Brooks Run United Methodist Church, the one that's like right by Toad Hollow. It um, it's the same people that I went to like Sunday school with and stuff. And now they get to teach my kids and like, I get the best naps of my life in the first pew. Like I have the kids get upstairs and they're so cool. With them and I, They'll just let me doze off and not even say anything. They're so sweet there. But my great, great grandmother um, played like the piano there or something. I didn't know about that because she passed away when I was really young, but it's cool. Like, and it's like crazy how things work out. Can you tell everyone a little bit about how you got started working at Godfathers? I started here on the island, actually, not in Moundsville. I'm in Moundsville now. I started on the island in 2015. My daughter was three months old. And when the day she turned three months old, I turned 21. One, I'm still naive about the world, but my mom had worked for Godfathers already since the store and bar closed down that was my mom and dad's. So I know what the fuck, you know, I know what, what's going on. And that hurt me because I was pregnant. So the whole time I'm pregnant, I already know what I'm going to do. I'm going to have my daughter. And then, you know, he had me in a situation where I had to share a car with him. I had to like, you know, I was like under his control. Well, I already knew it's fine. Just hang in there. Just hang in there. So it's my 21st birthday. My cousin Tiffany actually was um, DJing over there. My mom was still bartending. And um, I like snuck behind my mom's back and had Tiffany take me in to talk to Raj, which is the owner here. And um, excuse me. So I went in and like pretty much told him like, I really need a job. Like right now I'm working as a housekeeper at a hotel and I'm only bringing in $300 every two weeks and I'm still having to pay half the bills with somebody that's like restricting me from even taking my child to the doctors without them. And I don't like that. And I knew that at 21. 
So anyway, um, I get the job. Um, her, my daughter's other parents started tripping out and like tried to go up to my mom and was like, you guys are whores. How could you ever do this? How could you let your daughter do this? Blah, blah, blah. Well, I stayed strong and I didn't cave and I ended up going and I went and I started on a Wednesday in the DJ booth as a DJ on the Island. And I was fucking terrified. Am I like this weird biker group that came in from like out West somewhere and they were like traveling through to go to a gun show. And there was this girl I knew up on the stage and she was pregnant. just found out she was pregnant like a couple days before that. And I already felt weird about that. Cause again, I'm 21 years old. Yeah. My mom's worked at a strip club, but I never have. So like, I'm nervous because I tried to do everything. Like I tried to be good in school. I really did. Like I really tried to be good. I tried to like show that I was mean too, so people wouldn't like bully me anymore. But like honestly, I tried to be a good kid. Like my heart's always been in the right place. Anyway, um, so the girl's on the stage. She just found out she was pregnant. I see this like weird guy, like the leader of the gang. Don't really know if he's the leader, but he was in my story. So he's like the leader of the gang goes up and he's like doing weird stuff with the money and like doing something weird with his like hand over her stomach and I right then and there like I got really sick to my stomach and I was like oh no like and then the guy like came up and he was like talking about how he could read her aura and he knew what was going on I was like oh no oh no so I just wanted to get the thought out of my head because I believe like you got to have good happy thoughts like in order to like you know I just don't want to feel responsible if anything happens to anybody so um, a couple, I don't know. I just was like, I'm never coming back right then. I was like, I'm not coming back here, but I finished out the shift. Well, at the end of the shift, I made like 200 bucks and like, I'm used to making $300 every two weeks. And I just made $200 in one night. Okay. I can stay here. But then that girl ended up having a miscarriage. Like, and I will always feel like it was because of like the energy that was around in that room that night. And like, I hate that I had to like witness that, but I also love that, like, that was, like, the moment that it clicked, like, okay, you finally found a legal way to make money without a college education, because I couldn't go to college. I mean, I was enrolled, like, on an online thing, but um, whatever the hell his name is, he, he decided to um, go with a stripper. I forget, Lucy was her stage name. <laughs> Imagine that. So they decided to go to Colorado when Brylan's like four months old. Okay, so I've only worked at the strip club for like a month at this point. My daughter's four months old. Her dad decides to go with Lucy to Colorado. I lose my shit. I drop out of the college because I mentally can't deal with this. I've been with this man for five years prior to this, mind you. We were high school sweethearts, all that. I stayed loyal, did everything I was supposed to do in life, I thought. Anyway, they go to Colorado. When Brylan's like four months, he doesn't even return back until she's like nine months old. I'm not the type of person that grew up in a family to where it's like, oh, abandonment. Oh, run to the courthouse. And oh, let's give this lawyer money. I grew up just thankful that I even had one of my parents around. So I was very uneducated on how the juvenile court system worked and all that at that time. Or if I could go back and tell myself, I would have went and established my own rights then and there. I wouldn't have even like tried to take anything from him. I didn't want child support. I, again, I was not raised like that. So, I mean, if people are and they think that's right, that's cool because I mean, at least they didn't get fucked over like I did. So anyway, um, everything's cool. We end up getting back together. I quit the bar for a little bit because he was like, if you don't quit, you can't be with me and we can't have a family. And that's all I wanted. So 
I quit for like maybe a year and then it just, so I got my own apartment because I found some like pot plants growing in the basement and I'm like, dude, I'm not going to be on the news for fucking cultivation and child endangerment. Cause you want to try to grow some fucking weed. That's not even going to get anybody high cause you suck. So anyway, I get my own apartment. I take Brylin, um, down to my new apartment at the whore apartment and even breaks in at one time and carves whore into my wall and all types of crazy shit. But me and him are like back and forth at this point. And uh, anyway, so I come back to work and he was like, if you, I'll let you work there if you move back in with me to my house. And I'm just like, okay, bet. Cause now I don't have to pay for this apartment anymore. And I didn't know he was this crazy yet. So I go back. And I'm there with him and Brylin, and uh, he decides that, you know, he doesn't want to be with me anymore. He starts hanging out with, like, weird people. All this stuff starts happening. So I decide, you know what, I'm just going to go back to Melman's, and I'm just going to work there again. And they made me the manager. I think I was 23. So I'm the manager at Melman's at 23. It was my first job when I was 16. And... um. I just mentally could not take everything from, like, I had cousins coming at me. I had my own sister coming at me. I had my own grandmother coming at me. I didn't have support. I felt like enough support from the people that I really needed it from the most. So, and also, to top it all off, I had a secret addiction to Percocet. On top of that, not even my daughter's dad knew that. I was that slick. So, um, I decided, like, one day, I'm like, damn, this is enough. Like, and it all started when I had a C-section for Brylin. I realized, oh, my God, I know why people like Percocet so much. Like, I feel amazing. I can get stuff done. Nothing hurts. Well, then all of a sudden, it's three years later, and I'm still doing these things. And I'm like, okay, I just, I've had enough. I've had enough mentally. I've had enough with my hidden addiction. I am going to get myself off of this by going to the beach. And just, so I set up arrangements with like Brian Lee. And I was like, I'm going to the beach. Like, please keep an eye on her. I didn't even tell him why. Maybe if I would have been brave enough or like bold enough to ask, like, to be like, yeah, this is really why. Like, I really need help. But I didn't, didn't want anybody to know. I was trying to hide everything. So um, while I was at the beach, I got myself off of the Percocet really good. That was fine. But then I decided to come back up here and I met some man. And I don't want to say his name because it makes me sick when I do. But I took some acid off of him. And then I ate acid for a few days. And I was fine. I woke up just fine and everything was fine. And then a few days later, I decided I wanted to go back to Florida. And I had some money saved up. So I, you know, talked to Brian Lee again and weed syrup. I'm popping ecstasy pills. Um, I depleted all my serotonin by not sleeping. And then I drove like all the way up here from Florida while I didn't sleep, while I'm dehydrated, while I'm tripping. The whole time there, I'm on this like live video call and it didn't even really, because I'm not in my right mind at this point. Like, I don't think people understand that a drug-induced psychosis is so dangerous and like serotonin levels are so important and yeah it, it might look cool to be like a hippie and try to be woke or like try to like find whatever you're looking for but like do that like in a church or with like people that care about you like not saying drugs but look for yourself spiritually like through ways that are not taking substances because what happened to me was so scary i ended up coming back up here Brylin's other parent 
had it arranged for the person that I was with to take me to Egypt Valley. For those not from the Upper Ohio Valley, you may not know what Egypt Valley is. Egypt Valley is a place um, that is commonly used for partying. Um, People have gone missing out there. It is said to be very haunted. um, And some people practice religious things out there. So it can be a spooky place. This person has taken me to this satanic house in Egypt Valley before. I I end up, okay, we're at Route 9 BP when it was a Route 9 BP. The person that was driving let into my car, like into my car. And then he's like sitting there like trying to like say all this weird stuff to me. And I remember I attacked both of them. I physically attacked the driver and I physically attacked my daughter's other parent. And like they were both guys. Like... I, because they, I was so mad they were taking me to Egypt Valley and not to the hospital. I was telling them I'm dehydrated. I need to go to the hospital. I need an IV. Wake up three days later strapped in in Hillcrest. I guess in between that time, I, they had to put me like in a coma because of whatever. And then I guess I voluntarily signed myself into Hillcrest, which I didn't do. But it's okay. I'm very glad that I was put in Hillcrest for as long as I was. Because when I got released, I still wasn't even ready to be released. I had to go to the Belair psych unit after that at the Belair hospital. Really deep depression. Because first off, I what did I do out of all this? Yeah, I got off Percocet, but now I don't have my daughter. And now I have nothing. And out here telling everybody that I'm brain dead and that like I'm never going to be the same. Anyway, I, I'm not brain dead, guys. I got my serotonin back and all that. But um, I went into a really bad depression and I slept on my mom's couch for like six months straight. I swear she had to wake me up like twice a week and be like, hey, you going to take a shower? Like, hey, you want to do this? Like there was like times where I went like without brushing my teeth for like a week straight. Like I literally got fat. I had pimples all over my face. I didn't look the same. I didn't feel like myself. Everything was just not good for me. And then I have that person that told everybody all this stuff in my ear telling me how like He's going to go find my daughter a new mom, and he's going to do this, and he's going to do that. So there was some days, I've never been suicidal, but there were some days I'd lay on that couch, and I'd be like, it's okay if I die. Like, I have a whole kid out here and can't even be with her. Like, it feels like your heart's ripped out of your chest. Waking up strapped to a bed in Hillcrest, knowing it's your daughter's third birthday, mind you, which I'm crazy and I'm tripping, but guess what? I didn't forget that I was missing my daughter's third birthday. So let's keep that in mind. He calls me one day when I'm on my mom's couch. He's like, you need to come home. And I'm just like, I don't think that's a good idea. And he's like, no, I need help raising Brylin and blah, blah. I'm like, okay, I'm coming. So that's all you had to say. Like, oh, I can be around my daughter. I'm so crazy. But it's just that, oh, you just need, okay. Well, it wasn't only that. He wanted to pretty much, like, sleep with me the entire time, too. I don't want to sleep with anybody at this point. I'm not my, like, I want to be with my daughter. That's it. So I'm be, I have to sleep with this man and he's making me feel really bad about myself and like all this just to see my daughter well i finally start to like gain my confidence back because being around my daughter every day i'm i'm finally feeling like myself i'm a mom again that's you know like so anyway um he starts like he starts acting really weird and then i start um relapsing again and now at this point i've found alcohol and i've never drank Before, I've always been a pothead since I was 13. I was not the person that would go to parties at all. Like, if I did go to a party, I'm smoking a blunt and then I'm leaving. Like, I don't want to go, like, get drunk and I don't want people to take advantage of me, whatever. Um, So I end up 
finding out on like, I think it was 24. Yeah, I was 24. I'm like, oh, alcohol makes me feel numb. Like I'm going to drink this. And then I started like popping Xanax too on top of it. So lucky for me, this was only like a two month period because um, a lot of stuff happened between me and her dad. And I ended up, um, so I went to go, he decided, oh, well, you can just move out. Okay, well, I'm moving out. And then I'm going to get my job back at Melman's because at this point I didn't work there anymore. I got my job back at Melman's. I got enough money for an attorney. It ended up being the girl he was with that was one of my friends' first baby dad's mother. I know that's a lot. Anyway, got her retained. Everything's good. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go to court and I'm going to fight for my kid because that's the only thing I can do in Belmont County when your child's in the, in the court system. So I'm doing good. All that. Well, I stop. He's not letting me see Brylin in this time period. It's been two weeks. I have not seen my daughter since I'm doing good and I'm back on my shit at Melman's and I'm like, I want to see her. I'm going to go stop at that house and I'm going to at least leave a note, knock on the door and attempt like that's my child. So I do that and he answers the door and I hug my daughter so tight because I finally get to hug her after two weeks. And this point of the story, Chris Ann states that she told the person she has conflict with to wait until they find out who her attorney is. And that was enough for him to get so enraged that he attacks me in front of my daughter. My the first time in this relationship with this person, whether they were together romantically or not, during a physical altercation that she thought that she wasn't going to survive. And they have been dating off and on since high school and have had many physical altercations over the years. It was all before a shift at Melman's. So the cops get there and they take him to jail, but they won't let me take my daughter. And I'm sure you guys are wondering right now, like, oh my God, but why wouldn't the police just give her her daughter, hand her over if the other parent is going to jail in that moment? And that is due to a custody arrangement. Um, what was in that order, I do not know. At that point in time, the police were not allowed to legally hand her daughter over to her. Sometime after all of that debacle, um, Chris Ann ends up getting jumped. Chris Ann ends up intoxicated and riled up, wanting to fight the person who jumped her. So some people drop her off, okay? She ends up getting in a physical altercation, obviously. And the ex grabs her, rips off her purse and her shirt while someone is recording the whole situation. So now I'm topless in the street fighting and there's video. People are recording this. And I say something along the lines of porn star titties or something crazy. And this is like, I'm so embarrassed of it. But whatever, everybody's seen it. So it's not his mom that we went to school with sent it to me not too long ago. And was like, I still giggle over this and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, shit. I'm glad that, you know, it's funny for some people because... I'll laugh about it too, but it really isn't funny. But I am trying to be disrespectful to anybody, but like if you, you just have to be, there's two sides to every story. I'll just say that. And then that doesn't even sound disrespectful, but it's like, and then there's the screenshots, right? But, um, so that is the end of our first episode with Chris Ann. Like I said, we unfortunately lost a lot of good audio, but that's okay because she will be back for many more episodes because Chris has lived multiple lives in her one life 
And I feel it is important to allow her to share her story along with anyone else who wants to share their stories with us. If you would like to share your story, go ahead and click the link for our link tree. And there is a contact (laughs) form to contact us. And I don't care what your story is, who you are, where you're from. Go ahead and reach out. We would love to listen. And today's foundation, because we haven't done one in a while, is going to be the Megan Toothman Foundation. I feel like it is appropriate since we're going back to my hometown for this episode and speaking with Chrisanne. Megan was 24 when she passed away during the Indiana State Fair stage collapse in 2011. If you want to learn more about that and don't remember what happened, go ahead and type it in Google. It is all over the internet. Now for the foundation... My aunt and uncle, Melissa and Tim Oakley, started a foundation in honor of my cousin Megan to help give students an opportunity for scholarships. The link for the Megan Toothman Foundation will be in the description, and you can find ways to make donations or even apply for the scholarship if you're a student on the verge of going to college. 